grab your Bibles, if you will, Isaiah 9 uh, and Luke 2 are where we're going to be today. Isaiah 9 and Luke 2. Um, Not the most convenient uh, two places to turn. I get that, uh, but it'll be on the screen for us as well. Um, The second Sunday uh, in in our Advent celebration in this season, uh, typically... A Sunday when the church universally uh, would, would talk through, would contemplate, would reflect on, meditate on the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. The peace that we have in Jesus. Ben kind of led you into it this morning uh, to some degree. Look, I, I think there's a number of things that our mind comes to that we're drawn toward when we think of peace, right? Um, he mentioned that idea of peace and quiet. Right? So we have five little ones in our house. So we don't know what that's like, but there's, we've heard stories, and it seems really cool. And I think we're going to get there one day. Um, look, keeping the peace. Right? There's a governmental, authoritative element to peace in some sense. I think for most of us, we think about peace as the absence of war. The absence of hostility. That there's no enmity, that there's no strife, that there's no... Physical, actual exertion of pain and brokenness. Um, look, some of you in this room, I can say peace, and you're drawn back into like this flower child world of the 1960s, right? Where, where that, that's, that's what you think of and what you, what you see and what you think is all these people who just want harmony and peace and love. And they thought wearing weird clothes was the way to accomplish it, right? Um, and then, look, I grew up in a world where I, like, I just knew... Um, that world peace was really important. And ladies, I think you really did too, because anytime you saw a beauty pageant, this was like the number one thing, right? That like some of, some of us, there were probably ladies in here, like you were probably in pageants and you were coached to say to some degree, if you get a question, like if there's one thing that you want to happen, one thing, what would that be? Your answer, you knew it. Your answer was world peace. That was the goal, right? Because it's so idyllic. There's this deep desire for peace. Now, look, all of these things might bring to mind a moment, a circumstance, this this kind of place where there is peace. But they're all a circumstance. But when we read the scriptures, we're going to see peace in a totally different way. It's not just this one moment. It's not just... A lack of hostility, a lack of war, a lack of strife, a lack of bitterness, a lack of pain. Those things could be a part of it. It's not just serenity. It's not just quiet. It's not just silence. It's not just solitude. Those things can be a part of it. But peace is so much more. Let's look into this Isaiah passage, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Uh, And I want you to notice the word peace when you see it in this passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7 says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and this word that we just sang forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then in Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 14. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, or there was rather with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together, thanks be to God. Um, When we read that Isaiah passage, and it's going to be the same we're going to find in Luke. When we read that Isaiah passage, we come across this word, and you and I read it in English as peace. It says peace. And we bring all of these, these, these kind of preemptive ideas with it, these conscious bias ideas of, well, it means serenity, or it means happiness, or it means joy, or it means life, or it means there's no strife, it means there's no problem. But those things are not what that word means. When we read peace there, we read this old Hebrew word, and you've heard it before, it's shalom. Shalom. What does shalom mean? Okay, it means peace. Yeah, but what does it mean more than that? It means complete or whole. It means complete or whole. And there's this whole vast realm of Old Testament imagery that God uses throughout the canon of Scripture to help us understand what peace, what shalom is, what wholeness is truly is. If you look back into Joshua and you look at the construction of temple and buildings and all these types of things, you'll see this language that surrounds actual stones. The stones that were used to construct things and that there would be stones that would be shalom. They would be whole. They would be perfect. They would have no holes in them. They wouldn't be blemished or tarnished in any way. In fact, there are tons of references in the Old Testament, particularly to this construction idea, this building, this creating, this thing that is new, that is coming, that is coming up from the ground. This is a good picture of the Isaiah passage in 11, where we see the root of Jesse, the stump. This, all of this stuff, this idea that God presents through his scripture of something coming up, being raised up, and it being done in a way, in a constructed process where there is shalom where it's whole, where it's full, where it's complete, where there's nothing missing. I want you to think about this. We, we walked this summer. How many of you were here for, for our time as we kind of walked through Ezra and Nehemiah this summer? Right? Okay, a few of us. It, just, just a brief recap. The idea is that, is that Ezra, look, as a part of Zerubbabel and the, and the exiles returning, coming back to Jerusalem, there's a goal to, to rebuild, to construct the temple. The point of this is that the temple would be shalom. And in fact, that it'd be used as a verb, that Ezra would actually shalom, that he would, he would perfect, complete, that the temple would be made whole for the worship of God. Nehemiah has this deep desire put in him to go to Jerusalem to do what? To make the walls, to make the city, to make the temple whole. To bring shalom. There's all of those things that we see in Nehemiah where, we, where he's broken about how the gates of the city are, turned, are turned, torn, I can't talk today, torn down and burned, 
right? There are all these spots where when we read through Nehemiah, we see that he assembles people and he places them by each of these gates. Why? To repair them, to restore them, to bring shalom. All right, uh, one of my favorite theologians, this guy named Tim Mackey, he offers some scriptures to help us see this. I want to walk through them with you this morning. This is 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 25, and it says this. Three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. That word finished there, that word completes, it's a derivative of, it's a con- there's a deep connection to, it's a part of the root word shalom. He ashims it. He finishes the house. Exodus chapter 22, verses 5 through 6. This also has to do with relationships. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field. Look, I've been accused of this on Chelsea Park Facebook, all right? I mean this, seriously. I had to go make some restitution. Um, If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution uh, from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. What is that restitution? It is just him me. It is shalom. It is making peace. It's bringing wholeness back. It's bringing completion back. You read those passages in Exodus and Leviticus and you say, I don't understand all this stuff. There's all these rules. Why, does, why do I have to pay back this or do this? Because my beast, you know, um, not my like Rottweiler Corgi mixed thing, but, but the, this actual like livestock animal went and did this thing. So why do I have to make this peace or do this thing? We're getting pictures throughout the scripture of peace being fullness. Look at this next passage in Proverbs. Deeply relational. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So not just, not just a, a physical component that God shows of his desire for life to be restored to completion, like with building and construction, right? And not just that, that in our kind of day-to-day relationship, you're my neighbor and I'm your neighbor and, and we've got beasts and they're going to cross paths at some point. We've got we to be okay with each other, right? But even just in, in deep relationships with people, even to the point of one's enemies, that our goal would be to be at peace, to bring some level of completion to a relationship. We're going to see it here in just a second in Isaiah, but everything that we see in the canon of Scripture, everything that we see in the Old Testament, there are these continual pictures of the idea that God longs to bring fullness, complete restoration, things as they once were before, in so many ways to restore the joy of, the beauty of, the communion with God that we find in the Garden of Eden. Before sin mars and destroys and breaks this world. And so we get a picture of that in Isaiah as he would prophesy 700 years before Jesus is born. And here's what we see. Look back at Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, and this is what we find. 
This child that is born, Jesus, this son that is given, here is what he is called. Four specific things, and you'll see this. Wonderful counselor. What does that mean? Wonderful counselor. It doesn't just mean, hey, this guy's, it's a guy's a good counselor. We're working through some stuff here, right? There's more to that. Here's what wonderful means. It means extraordinary. It means miraculous. And that counselor piece, that component, is really driving toward wisdom. That God is one in the Messiah who will bring extraordinary wisdom. Wisdom was treasured. Wisdom was valued. Wisdom was prized in this day. Remember the proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That even at the very understanding of God, the, the goal is to be someone who is in communion with God and who lives with him and acts in wise ways. This Messiah, this one, will be this incredible, miraculous, extraordinary one who gives wise counsel. But not only that, he is a mighty God. Mighty God. For a people, and we know Israel's history, for a people who have been constantly in strife, constantly at war, and and quite frankly, constantly oppressed. They longed for a Messiah who would be one that would bring an end to that oppression. In this phrase, Isaiah is prophesying, he is saying that the Messiah, this Jesus to come, is mighty God. He is not just strong, but he is full in might. He's complete in might. He is one who has the power to bring an end to the oppression. And then look at what's next. Everlasting Father. And that might seem strange to see, well, why does it say Father instead of Everlasting King? Why does it say Father? Well, here's the thing. Um, It points to his reign, but it uses Father to show a more perfect picture of kingship and lordship than the kings that ruled in that day. You had all these kings that were trying to help their land, help their people, help Israel experience shalom. Experience fullness, completeness, peace with one another. You know? People that were close together. People that had communion with God and then joyful relationship with one another. And yet so many of these kings, they continually were corrupt. And yet the kingship... That Isaiah points to is one who is everlasting, who has this reign, who has this authority. He's everlasting. But yet he's like a good father. He's one who exercises his authority with compassion and with care and with love. And look at this last one. Prince of Peace. He is the prince, he is the emissary, he is the royal one who will bring peace. Not just not that's the end of strife, not just serenity, not just quiet, not just kindness or niceness, but completion. So here's what we see in these four things. That list of four things is listed right here in in chapter 9 and verse 6. Show us this. That we have one who brings wisdom unparalleled, might unparalleled, unparalleled, reign and authority that is unparalleled. And he brings it to completion. 
why does Isaiah go to the labor of saying these four names? Why does he give these names? Because you've got to remember in Hebrew, the people to whom Isaiah is writing understand that a name is everything. We used to do this thing in our world where like, our word was our bond, right? See, a lot of people that don't really recognize this. Um, and then that's our society to some degree right now, right? Like we, we live in ways that are flippant, but there used to kind of be this thing where when you, when you gave your word, you're, you're putting your whole self behind it in this world, in this day, a name wasn't something to separate you from the person that was sitting next to you. It wasn't just something that your family liked to call you. It reflected your identity. It said who you were. Isaiah is saying that this Messiah is complete. He brings absolute completion. He's not a thing among other things. He's not merely a prophet or a priest or a king. Yet he has all of these things bound up in him with completion and perfection. Now look back to the passage in Luke. The angels say and they sing these words. Glory to God in the highest, this is Luke 2.14, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So now we move into a different language. We go into the New Testament and we get Greek. That's how it's written. And so we get a different word. And the word is not shalom. The word is this different word uh, called irene or irene. Um, here's what it means. It means wholeness. It means fullness. It means completion. It means the very same thing that shalom means. This isn't a different kind of peace. Because that peace is one that wouldn't work. No, this is the peace of which Isaiah spoke. This is the fullness. This is the completion. This is the wholeness. That picture of restoration. Of brokenness being restored. That we find throughout the Old Testament. And yet now we see here at the birth of Jesus. And look this is a phrase that embodies the Christmas season. Because most of our life we've heard it this way. Peace on earth. What? Goodwill toward men. So. When you hear those words in that way, I think one of the things that you and I are inclined to do is we think, well, this is the way that we treat people. But this is the season of goodwill toward men. So you and I do this thing where we listen to Magic 96 or we hear Christmas music or it's on your Spotify playlist this day and age or whatever, right? But you're just like, you know, have your warm cup of coffee with all the weird extra stuff that people add to it at Christmas, Right? And you're in the Christmas spirit and you're happy. And you don't really know why. You just know you're supposed to be because it's Christmas, right? But you do this extra stuff because there's built into you throughout the tradition of your life this idea that, hey, this is the season for goodwill toward men. I need to extend myself in extra ways. It's Christmas, right? And those of you, some of you are like, oh, look, I need to stay on the nice list. So I'm going to do this. But you hold a door for somebody when you normally wouldn't. Or you do that thing where you buy Chick-fil-A for the person behind you, right? Or you're like pre-Jelly of the Month Club 
Clark Griswold. You're like happy with everyone. You love Christmas. You love everything. That's what you long to be. That's what you want to do. All of those things cause us to miss what this says. Because the goodwill comes from somewhere, but it ain't from us. This is what the passage says. This is what it depicts. It's not actions at what we do to give peace, but we see that peace has come to us. I can't give any peace until I have it. I can't give what I don't have. This passage means that peace, completion, wholeness, this Irenae, the shalom, is offered to us because we are the object of God's will, his love, his mercy, his affection, ultimately his peace. He offers it to us. We are the object of that peace. Not the one primarily who gives it. And look at what it says and look at how it actually reads there. And this is a really good translation because it says this. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Among. This is really, really helpful because we get the understanding of the picture of Isaiah 7 here. Emmanuel. God with us. Peace has come among us in Jesus. God's wholeness, his fullness is actually with us. So I think for most of us, we long for peace. We long for peace and we want it to happen and we want it to exist. And we're not really that much different from the pageant contestant, all right? We want the world peace too. We want people To be at peace with one another. We want strife to end. We want hostility to end. And even in our little lives, we want serenity. We want quiet. There's a lot of gospel preached, I hope, today in our service. We've sung it and we we see it in God's word. And it rings just as true as what Ben said. Like, bedtime is peace, right? It's peace for a lot of us. But even that little thing is just a picture of... Not peace totally just in and of itself, but peace takes on more. It's more full. It's more complete. How do you and I experience peace? Here's how. First thing. We talked about this as we walked through our First John series. This is not just a mantra for us. This is not just something that we'll continue to say because it sounds cool and because we've run out of other stuff and we can't think of anything better. All right? But we're going to be a people who grow in maturity because we believe the gospel. We believe the gospel. How do we believe the gospel in relationship to peace? This is Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I experience peace? How do I know peace? I believe. I believe in the gospel. That's where peace starts. We've been justified by faith. Our trust in, our experience of the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we believe in the gospel, this incredible thing happens. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that transcends, that goes beyond, that usurps, that goes past every imaginable thing that you and I think about peace. That truly this extraordinary, miraculous, incredible thing happens when we believe in the gospel We experience and we come to this place when we repent and believe. We have peace with God. This is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 17. It's important really to see the whole context here. But Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says this. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. So a people that that were marked by what they did or didn't do. By what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's how that connects to that Luke 2 piece, that that incredible thing, that great good tidings of great joy that is to be for who? All people. For everyone, that all people thing, this Israel that is different than these Gentiles, it's all brought together in Jesus Christ. It says, but now in Christ, you who, were want, or you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How did we get brought near? How did that happen? For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. In Jesus, this world that was at odds, Israel and the Gentiles and every other nation that waged war with them, it's all reconciled. It's all brought to wholeness, to to fullness, irene, shalom, completion in Jesus. I want to experience peace. I want to know peace. It starts here. He himself is our peace. Jesus Christ is the experience of peace. And so I would say to you, wherever you are in this moment today, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the circumstance that surrounds you does not dictate your peace. Your surroundings might be filled with hostility in some way, shape, or form. Like your life might characteristically be chaotic it might lack serenity and yet you can still experience peace because he takes on peace for you to the degree that he is our peace colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 20 says this For in him, this is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you looked back into that first king verse in Solomon, you, you, you talked about burnt offerings and peace offerings. We have the understanding that in the Old Testament, there's this covenantal system that that God establishes where things had to be atoned for. Sacrifices needed to be made. There needed to be offerings for peace. 
Jesus is, as the writer of Hebrews would say, once and for all, our peace. He makes peace by the blood of his cross. You want to know peace? You want to experience peace? Believe the gospel. There are those of you who would say, hey, I believe the gospel. Look at me. I'm here. I'm in church. You know this. I'm a part of this place. I don't mean believe the gospel once. I mean right now. Believe the gospel today. Experience and step into the reality that no matter what is going on in and around your life, that you have peace with God because of what Christ has done for you. Those things that we sang on this morning, the things that God has done for us, this is what he's done for you. He's made peace. All right, what does that practically look like? Um, This is what we call living in the gospel. What does that peace look like? This is Colossians chapter 3, or verse 15, rather, and it says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You can read it in this way. Because it's Irenae. It's the same word. And let the fullness, the completion, the wholeness of Christ rule in your hearts. To which you were called in. And Paul uses this phrase very clearly. One body. What's the point? Why is he saying that? Paul is this one body guy. We see it in Romans. We see it in, in particularly in 1 Corinthians 12. This picture of the body. Paul's always talking about this one body. He does it in Ephesians 4. One body. Right? Why does he continually say this? Because he recognizes that in our church. In the church universal. In the churches that he writes to. There's this real opportunity for strife and hostility. I want to boldly say something to you this morning. There are those of you who are at odds with one another. Like actually, really, you're at odds with one another. You have a problem. You have an issue with someone in the church. I really mean this because I know what's happening. This is how you live in the gospel. Remember we talked about in 1 John that living in the gospel, living in, participating in the gospel is in 1 John 1 and chapter 4 that that we now have fellowship with the Father and the Son and therefore with one another. So here's what living in the gospel looks like. It means being at peace with one another. Does that mean being nice to each other? Could be. Does that mean buying Chick-fil-A for the person behind you? Could be. All right. Does that mean buying them that weird coffee that has whipped cream and sprinkles and all this stuff that you don't need in your coffee? You just go get a cup of coffee and you pour the coffee in there and those little creamers are going to entice you. But you stay away from them because you're a purist and you just want coffee. Look. Those things can be peaceful actions. But Paul talks about one body over and over and over and over again because he knows that there are those people in this place that, are, that can be at odds with one another. And he has to continually remind us that our fullness is found in Jesus. If my wholeness is there, how can I be upset with you? How can you be upset with me? How can there be division among us? I don't need to prove myself to you or, prove, or you prove yourself to me. Christ is my peace. He's your peace. He is peace with God. So go and love your neighbor. I'm not at peace with somebody. Quit it. Stop. 
I said this to the TV all day yesterday as Bama wins again. I'm like, just stop. Just make it stop, please. Right? But just stop it. Go be at peace with one another. Here's the third thing. Live out the gospel. And I want to invite Pax and our team uh, to come now as we close. Um, but live out the gospel. How do we live out the gospel? We see the angels do this. Every time there's annunciation, every time there's this proclamation, every time that there's this understanding or announcement of who Jesus is, you look in the gospel of Luke and every time you'll see that it results in praise. That it all comes back to praise. That anytime something true is said, something incredible is said, something revelatory is said about Jesus, it comes back to praise. And so these angels, they say it, but, but ultimately we know that they, they sing this. Glory to God in the highest. Peace has come to us in Jesus. We are the objects of his grace, his mercy, his love. So we ought to give God glory. How do I live out the gospel this week? How do I live out the gospel in which I would show peace to others? Okay, I'm called to believe in the gospel to trust in the fact that, that peace is not this thing that I go out and get, but instead peace has come to me in Jesus. That Jesus has, has made peace with God for us by the blood of the cross. And that when we trust in him, when we believe the gospel, not just in a past salvation moment, but in this moment right now, I get to experience peace. I live in peace by having real community, real connection, and it's a confessional one where we have to get together and say, look, we're part of one body. We're whole. We're full in Jesus. Why am I mad at you? And why are you mad at me? Let's, let's forgive one another. Let's see reconciliation. Let's see wholeness come, peace come, relationship restored, right? Believing in, living in. Look, here's how you live it out. You, you got to sing the gospel. I got to sing and say the gospel this week. Now, for some of us, that's easy. If I walk around this place, because this is where I work, right? So if I walk around this place singing gospel songs, don't look like a weirdo. It's pretty normal. You might be employed in a place or live in a place or be in a place where if you sing, people are like, then what is up with this person? All right? I'm not saying you got to go, you got to go sing, right? And it has to be vocal melodies, what I am saying is, you and I got to go live this out. We got to go proclaim this. What if we told one person this week, literally just one person? And you know what I know about Christmas? Jesus is the peace of God that's come to me. I have peace with God through Jesus. So peace now for me is not this like this thing or this moment or this circumstance. Peace is now everything. It's fullness, it's wholeness, it's completion. It's wisdom, it's power, it's authority. It's all of these things bound up in this baby that has come. And it's in his life and his death and his resurrection that I now have peace.
What have we told somebody that this week? Who's like ready to jump out of their chair and go tell somebody that this week? Right? I don't see a lot of this happening. We sang it this morning. God saw our story and stepped into it. Can we go live out the gospel? You and I see a ton of stories before us every week. Can we step into that story and tell them about the peace that we found in Jesus Christ? If you will, pray with me as we prepare to close the worship. Heavenly Father, we sing glory to you. We tell the world of our joy and what we've experienced. Father, because you've brought peace, you've brought wholeness, you've brought completion, you've brought fullness to us in Jesus. We don't have part of our life restored. There's not some of who we are that's restored. Instead, Father, we are made new, completely. As if sin had never marred us or never broken us because of what happened in the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, who has come to us. And so this morning, Father, I ask that you would help us to be a people who believe in the gospel, who believe that you've reconciled us to yourself through Jesus and indwelled us with your spirit to believe and experience that peace even now. God, would you cause us to be people who live at peace with one another because we're a part of one body. You are all that we need and all that we are. And Father, will we be people that live it out, that share peace that you've given us. We step into the story of others. God, we pray these things this morning in the name of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We pray these things in the name of your son, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.